Now, let's uh, get ready to open our Bibles up here and uh, continue in Hebrews 11. We uh, all have to make choices and decisions in life every day, right? Constantly, all day long. And uh, you made choices today. You made a choice to get up. (laughs) You made a choice to get in a car and get going and being here, right? Uh, We make choices in life. uh, Sometimes they can bring significant consequences. Uh, In 1920, the management of the Boston Red Sox made a bad choice as they sold Babe Ruth. Anybody ever heard of him? Babe Ruth was sold from Boston to the New York Yankees. And the rest is history. The the next 10 out of 12 seasons, Babe Ruth hit more home runs each of those years than all the Boston Red Sox combined. (laughs) They didn't win a World Series until just a few years back. Uh, That was all like, like 90 years later. Do you get it? Uh, um, in 1938, there was another bad choice made by Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel. Do you know what I'm talking about there? They sold all their rights for a comic book character for $130. Do you know who that character was? Superman. $130. Uh, bad choice, right? In 1955, as we go along in history here, right, Sam Phillips sold really a, a, probably one of the biggest contracts that he ever could have to RCA Victor. Some of you might already know what we're talking about here. It was an exclusive contract that he had with a young singer named Elvis Presley for meager amounts of money. And, of course, that meant he lost all the royalties on more than a billion records sold. (laughs) Bad choices, right? Well, that's what can happen. Uh, Definitely significant consequences there. Well, those are bad choices. What we want to look at today are good choices. Our text tells us about two good choices, or at least two Uh, groups of people. One uh, was uh, actually slaves. They were two slaves who made a choice that affected world history greatly. Uh, Two slaves in ancient Egypt, they chose to go against the king's edict of killing their male child. All male children were to be killed. If they were Hebrew slaves, they were to be killed. So they hid their son. They made quite a choice there. Second choice was that son who is Moses. Moses himself. And um, he gave up a position of influence and power, great comfort that he was in, wealth in the Egyptian court. And he gave all that up to go be with an enslaved group of people. So that's what he did. And so it makes eternal consequences one way or the other, doesn't it? 
So those choices do make a difference. Moses, throughout all of his life, I think is a fantastic, beautiful illustration that God works through individuals, doesn't He? Boy, did He ever work through Moses. And uh, of course, to people who are brought to submission to God, uh, God definitely uses... um, He's prepared by two choices. The first choice, uh, obviously, is God's choice of Him. Because that's where it starts. Because no one would choose God on their own. It's divine choosing of God in the ages of eternity past, if we can put it that way, that um, he had in mind. But um, there were a series of decisions that Moses made every day. We make decisions. Every circumstance that we face, we make decisions. We have opportunities to make good choices at. Every single day of our lives, the opportunities can arise. So we want to make sure that we're ready to to, to do that. But the bigger theme, on a much bigger scale, is the fact that Moses is quite the example here of the truth that salvation comes by faith and not by works, religiosity, ceremonies, rituals, but of faith. And that's the ongoing theme that we have in Hebrews 11. It's a personal belief in the Word of God. Believing it because God has said it, it's going to come about, it looks impossible. The more it looks impossible, the more you trust that it's going to happen. And that goes against the grain of the human thinking, doesn't it? So that's what we look at today. So let's turn to that Hebrews 11. And at verse 23, let's stand and let's read this Word of God. Let's honor Him by looking at what He has stated. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned." Father, what a miraculous story we have in the story of Moses. One of the most influential men ever in the history of mankind. But better yet, used by You for Your purpose, for Your glory. Thank You for this great story. Thank You for this story of faith. And it really came down to Moses, not in his power, but just believing on those promises that you had given Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And Moses continued on with that, knowing that you're going to do what you have already designed. 
Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, all right. We're ready to get into um, this Hebrews 11 here. Another another story. This is uh, dealing with uh, not fearing man, fearing God, knowing what He has said is true, and you continue on with that, even though it looks like something that can't be pulled off. So it starts with really the story of Exodus. Exodus 2, and so even though we have read Hebrews 11, what we're going to do now is turn to Exodus 2 and get a little bit more of the background of that. This is the story of Moses, and we're not going to cover the whole story of Moses, but we are going to do a little bit of chapter 2. This is how he uh, came about being a human, a man. Chapter 2, verse 1, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it, set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile, and she saw, walking alongside the Nile, she saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went, Call the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. That's where he takes off. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. That's as far as we're going to go there. What we have here, we have a matter of obedience. When you have obedience to the Lord it means a risk has to be taken. There's a certain amount of upfront risk. You see it here with Moses' parents. This couple, they don't know the end of the story. We know what this is. Well, we would have done that, wouldn't we? 
If we would have had a little child, we said, we're going to keep it. Yeah, you keep that child. They will take the child, they will kill it, and they will kill you and your whole family. That's why everybody gave up their male children. They could have been slaughtered. So they could have rationalized says, okay, what else could we have done? We had no choice. We could have been caught, probably would have been caught, whole family dies out of it. But they choose to obey God and realize the consequences. Is this a risk? It's a huge risk. It means you might lose your life. But you know what? They don't fear the king's edict. They fear God. They know that they choose to obey God. There can be consequences. And we think of it here in our nation, and of course, you know, since the 70s, you know, we think of abortion and how much of an impact that has made. Huge. And at the same time, we realize that. You know, there are a few steps that are positive sometimes, but it, it still keeps on going and the numbers keep climbing and this nation is held responsible for what it's done. Um, the thing is, is that we could very well become a nation like China where you can only have one child and the rest of them have to be killed. That could very well happen here. What, what if our government mandated that would we go along with that? Well, there's a risk of obeying God and defying the government. But in the book of Acts, it says, we will obey God rather than men. When it comes to things that are moral, things that are right and true, you know, it could result in imprisonment, it could result in loss of income, it could result in a loss of your job, all sorts of hardships. It could even mean your life. Chinese Christians could definitely tell you about the persecution they have had there. Now, this couple, which we don't know too much about, but I'll tell you what, I'm thankful to God because of these two parents and their faithfulness. Do you know their names? Do we happen to know their names? We know Moses. Do we know their names? Well, the Bible actually gives their names, but it doesn't give it in Hebrews 11. We read the story of Hebrews 2, and if you check back there, you say, oh, I didn't see their names there. Who are they? We'll go back to Exodus chapter 6 and uh, verse 20. And we get to meet them a little bit here. These are the heads, or the families of the Levites. And of course, Levite is the what's going to be the Levitical family, which is the priestly family. It's not there yet because Moses is the one that institutes the law, right? I mean, he's the one that gets the law. This is where you get the priestly Levites and such. But this time, they're they're a tribe. Remember Joseph? We we studied about Joseph. He's one of the sons of Jacob or Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, right? So, Amram married his father's sister, Jacobed. They're both from the Levitical family. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the length of Amram's life was 137 years. So we get to meet them a little bit. Here we know their names, Amram and Jacobed. 
They're slaves. That's what they are. Slaves, nothing famous about them at all. Just ordinary slaves. See, the Jews had gone from a very privileged position where we left off last week was by the name of Joseph from Isaac, or Abraham, Isaac, from Jacob, right? Get all those confused after a while. Then you have Joseph. And a few hundred years later, you get to this situation here now, which is dealing with Moses. But under Joseph, whenever he was there, they had quite the privileged position as he was a leader. But they became despised and hated by the Egyptians because they multiplied too rapidly. Pharaoh issued a command to throw all the newborn Jewish boys, as we just read in uh, Exodus 2, they were to be thrown into the Nile River. We see here in Hebrews 11.23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. So they are hiding him, right? Which is illegal. They could get caught. It could be an end for them. But what is it about this child that makes them keep him? He's a beautiful child. And I know that every parent would say, that, is it? Isn't she just beautiful? Isn't he just wonderfully beautiful? Just the most amazing looking little kid. And of course, they, when they come out, you know, they're, they're all wrinkly up and, you know, they have all sorts of stuff on. They're the most beautiful kid ever in the world. And that's the way all parents see that child. And some people, I'm glad they're not brutally honest and say, ah, that's, that's quite a baby you got there. <laughs> Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2. Verse 2, which we read earlier. Verse 2, the woman conceived, bore a son, that's Moses. When she saw that, he was beautiful. Same thought there. He's beautiful. Hebrews 11, beautiful. There's another story that goes of the history of this, and it's found in Acts chapter 7, which is where you have Stephen telling the whole history of the nation of Israel. And this is where he gets killed because he just tells the truth. (laughs) He tells about the religious people that were not believers, that did not believe by faith, but they were Jewish people, so automatically, you know, they were esteemed because they were this great nation. And Moses is the most esteemed of them all. Well, that's true. He was a believer. In Acts chapter 7, verse 20, here's what Stephen uses. So we go back a little bit before to uh, to our Exodus, and we've been doing that a lot in, in Genesis. Now we are in Exodus a lot in Hebrews eleven, right? As we go back to support in uh, Acts seven twenty, Stephen says it was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God. He's beautiful. He's lovely. If we took things just outwardly, visually, and he might have been very beautiful physically, but I don't think that's exactly what the Lord is really pointing at here. You see, it's always what God has in mind that He's very favored. He's lovely in the sight of God. That's what makes the difference right. In the sight of God. He's lovely. Has Moses done anything yet? Well, I'm sure he cried. Can you imagine what that might have done with the parents while he's crying? They had to hush him up quickly. 
He can't be crying. Babies are going to cry. He can't help it. That's what they do. That's their nature. So every time he cried, they really had to hold him back somehow. But he's a beautiful child. John Calvin points out that since Scripture forbids us from making judgments based on external appearance, and that's the problem of the world today and all of us, we tend to make judgments upon what? The appearance from our eyes. God does not focus on that. Moses' parents, Calvin goes on to say, must have seen something in the baby boy to make them hope that he would be the promised deliverer of his people. Who knows? God might have made some kind of revelation to them. We don't have that. Probably didn't. They were people of faith. There was something about this baby. I think there's something about the fact that they don't, they're not going to kill their baby. But there's something unusual from the very date of his birth about Moses. So there's something about him that's evident, I think, that he's an instrument of God. What happens if these people aren't faithful and they go ahead and let the Egyptians kill him? Well, God in His plan, His purpose, will make sure that this all works out, right? But here, it emphasizes this. Now, they are doing something. They're really taking a risk. They're doing what naturally parents would do, only it's a little bit more difficult. They've got to hide it constantly. While they're out doing their slave work, somehow, some way, they hit him for three months. I think God is in His protection is definitely there all the way. No doubt. Because they thought that God destined him for some kind of a great role, it says here that at the end of verse 23, they were not afraid of the king's edict. That says something right there about these people. They're not afraid. Not afraid of the king's edict. They have a hope here. Now, no doubt, they're fearing for their own lives. They're, they're people. We're people. You know, we have feelings. We have emotions. We're human. Yeah, there's a natural fear, and that's okay. But they don't fear the king. They, they fear God. Whatever happens, happens. But there again, you know, the, you know, if the guards catch them, the entire family is done. They're toast. So by faith, and this is their choice here. That they do. Exposing the entire family to the risk of death here. How carefully they have to live. Moses at any time, day or night, can cry. They have to muffle him. They have to try to calm him down in some way. That's not always easy, is it? They did this three months. That was what they did in the short run. Here's the long run eternal blessings out of it. It's always good to see here's the payoff. There's eternal blessings. Their son grew up to be the greatest leader in Jewish history. He delivered the Jews from slavery, right? The Jews were delivered. By divine inspiration, he wrote first five books of the Old Testament called the what? The Pentateuch. The Torah. 
Moses wrote that. They have this choice of keeping him rather than having him destroyed. All the consequences of world history that come out of this. Incredible. We may never ever know what the eternal blessings are that may flow out of a choice that we have to do what we know is right called obedience. We don't know how much these little things that we do, they just did what was something was natural. Keep their baby. But it was still a cost. Blessings flow out of choices that we make. Now, faith is at the heart of this. Faith is all about this. God works His work of faith through how many unknown parents? How many people has God used that we all know about? We read about in books or we read them in the Bible and throughout church history. We see these great men of faith. Sometimes we know very little about their parents. But they played a key role in their children. What an unusually gifted leader Moses was. I, I stand in awe of how God used these two parents who were really nobody that was special. But they really are special to God, aren't they? Every one of us are. That was a courageous faith that they did. Courageous. That's why in verse 23, it's not about Moses having faith, it's the parents by faith. Then it says Moses, by faith Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months. By faith he was hidden three months by his parents. So they are the ones who get the credit for the faith, which really God gets the credit for the faith, doesn't He? This couple would have lived in obscurity as lowly slaves, never to be known, never to be read about. But here as we read this this morning, we read about them in Hebrews 11, Exodus 2, Acts 7. God used this courageous faith in a mighty way. They didn't get to do much more after this, but I do want to tell you something that they did do. They raised him up while he was being nursed. We know that for sure. And back at that time, that could have been as much as three years, four years, six years, and it could mean even more than you know just just uh, you know a, a milk thing. It, you know, it goes beyond that, and that they're nurturing him. Some commentators even go all the way up to something like twelve years old, ten years. I don't want to push the age because it's not there. But I can say that they gave him an underlying basis of foundation of faith of who the Hebrews were and how God had blessed it. And when you think of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then you think before that, Noah, right? And of course, Enoch. And before that, who do we have? Let's see. I think you got one more. What's that? Abel. 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 There we go. I went backwards. Now my mind has to catch up with that. <laughs> Get forwards. Um, so what? What do we have? We have eternal blessings out of what they did. Now Elizabeth, Zacharias. Do you remember them? They played a key role in giving birth to John the Baptist. 
Jesus said He was the greatest man. Outside of Christ, of course. John the Baptist. How about Mary? A very obscure girl. Teenage girl. You can imagine the ridicule that she heard probably all of her life. Conceived a son without a husband. We know the story on that, the virgin birth. Well, there are the parents. We, we have one verse on the parents. They play a key role. Yeah. Every one of you, you have parents. They played a key role in where you're at now. You can say, well, they didn't teach me things of God. God still used them to bring you up to the point of wherever you're at. He uses those situations, bad, good, indifferent. Wherever you came from, God used that. It's not a mistake. You're not a mistake. Anything that you've gone through is really not a mistake because God's going to use that. Some of you can look back and say, the parents gave me a tremendous heritage. Here's my parents. Here's my grandparents. You can go back. I thank the Lord because I I can look at that and say, yes, thank you, Lord, because there is a heritage that I'm very thankful for that was left for me. Not only my parents, but my grandparents and things that they knew. Grandma that read the Bible daily, wrote in her Bible, wrote notes just all over the place. And I'm sure that all the prayer that was involved in there from my parents, grandparents, and many of you could uh, identify with that too. But it still doesn't matter. The thing is, is that God gave you life. He gave you life through those parents and somehow to this day, because of that, even if they didn't do their job in raising you upright, here it is, He allowed you to get strengthened in that sense of how you've gotten to where you've gotten. God has been involved all the way through. Can we say amen on that one? God's in control, isn't He? Well, we go to Moses now. And obedience may mean suffering. Moses is going to suffer alienation as he gets older, especially when he gets 40, 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he had grown up, Pharaoh's daughter had rescued Moses, adopted him as the son. Um, Of course, he is raised up in his own household and he's getting paid. I mean, the parents are getting paid to raise him up. Isn't that something? And then, at some time, he's raised up in the palace with a foundation of the history of the God and, and His people. If he'd even survived in his natural family, what would have happened to Moses? Well, he'd been a slave. But in this case, he enjoys the most luxurious kind of living that he possibly could have. That anybody could have possibly lived at that time. He was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. He was a man of power in words and deeds. And that's found in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. That's Stephen. says he had he was educated. This was the most education that he possibly could have had in the world at that time at his disposal. He had all the wealth that he needed and more. And then the time comes when he's 40 that he makes this decision. 
you know what? He chose to walk away from everything that he had. He walked away. Walked out of the palace. Can you imagine Pharaoh's daughter who plays his adoptive mother, how she felt? Now he's 40. But he's re- he really leaves. Matter of fact, he's going to leave for 40 years. He really left. Can you imagine they're saying, after all that we've done for him, we got him educated, he had everything that he needed, and he followed the way of Christ. There's alienation here. He's alienated from that family. Don't you think that he had attachments to them? Absolutely. Yeah, this is a cost. It's not like, huh, I've had enough of you guys. No, he had to be thankful in the sense of how he was raised up. He suffered loss of honor, pleasures, wealth. He had a position of the highest honor that anyone could be. He was the prince of Egypt. He wasn't the Pharaoh, but he's right underneath that, right? And he identifies himself with the Jewish slaves at the highest, and he's identifying himself now with the slaves. Moses enjoyed whatever pleasures that anyone could ever see. He lived in luxury. The best in the world because Egypt was on top in those days. You know what? He had the best food available. Do you think he ever went hungry? No. He had the best clothes, splendid clothes all the time. All he had to do, they had Rosses right there in the palace that he, he could go to and just pick up off the rack. Never washed them, you know. He just, I mean, clothes, clothes. He he could have had the the pleasures of the most beautiful women in all of Egypt at any time. He had the wealth to buy anything that he wanted. That's what he had. He was educated to the elite. He chose to obey God by faith rather than to have all this stuff to be in the position of influence that he had. And just like that, he lost it all. Boom, it's gone. Faith? I guess so. Faith? I guess so. God calls Moses to give it up and lead Israel out of bondage. It would have been sin had he not done that. Now, we're not saying because somebody's wealthy and they have education, all those things, it's sinful. But in the case of Moses, whenever it was brought to his attention, somehow God got his attention. And further down the road, he keeps getting his attention as he leads him. That he is to lead Israel out of bondage. For some reason, he knows that's what he's supposed to do. Sin can bring passing pleasure, can it? Oh, yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be temptation. We wouldn't have any trouble with temptation, would we? But it gives a tremendous great pleasure. And he had all that. The Bible doesn't deny that sin brings pleasure. But finally, it brings eternal misery. That's the thing. It's a passing pleasure, but it's eternal misery if one is in that and that's what their life is about. So don't be deceived.
Let's look at Acts 7.22 just for a moment. Kind of covering what we just said there. This is Stephen now in his great message. Moses, here you go Bob, was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. So he not only could speak, which later he says, I can't speak in words, powerful in words. And he backed it up by doing it. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel, the slaves. It entered his mind. How did it enter his mind? He suffers by giving up what he had, his status, to live among the wretched slave laborers. At least that's what he thinks he's going to do. He will later, 40 years, he suffered the world's reproach. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The world's reproach. What's that? He's at the top circle of the Egyptian society. He's adored by all. He's in all the magazines at the grocery stores. <laughs> oh, they love to hop on the princesses and the princes, don't they? He's an influential man. Gave all that up. Can you imagine the gossip in Egypt? Word gets around really quick. He did what? Unbelievable! Why would he do that? He had everything he needed. Everything he wanted plus more. Why? He's insane. What is he, a masochist? Does he want to bring on suffering to himself? It's absolutely crazy. No, he was shrewd. Just like the man who sold everything to buy the pearl of great price. Matthew 13, the parables. Jesus speaking about a man who gave up everything for this pearl of great price. 13, 45, and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went, sold all that he had, and bought it. Gave everything he had for that because it was more valuable. That's representing the kingdom of God or Christ. You'd be willing to give up everything for Christ. Obedience is what that is all about. Obedience means eternal blessings. Remember the parents? They had some suffering, but they had eternal blessings. Moses definitely had sufferings, but he had eternal blessings. He chose to endure ill treatment. We've looked at that. He goes to these rugged bunch of raggedly dressed slaves who are later going to give him loads of trouble. 
You know the story. They grumble and grumble. Some challenges leadership, and that's even in his own family, a brother and sister, in spite of all these problems. These people are the people of God. So he's going to lead them out of Egypt. Greater blessings than the ill treatment that he received for a while. To live in this worldly, superficial society in Egypt, he recognized it was all plastic. There was really nothing there. Society of Pharaoh's court. Even though the church has some difficult people in it, it's much better than the people out there that are living in the world and are of it. And they seek things for themselves. God's people are just learning who God is and you know we're all sheep. But isn't it great to be among God's people compared to what the people out in the world are that want to influence you to do things that are against God's way? What you going to take, right? Moses. So this is where decisions come in. We know we are saved by grace through faith. It's not a work. But yet it is through God who is doing this. But now we can make decisions that are now based upon God's truth because of a new creation that's in us. Now, this is interesting. And we go to the blessings of this greater riches of Christ. Verse 26, Considering the approach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Boy, that's a startling phrase. Look at that. The reproach of Christ. What's that speaking about? I think it's obvious. Christ endured as He was despised and rejected by His people. Rejected by the world. You know what? Moses knew something about the Messiah. It's 1,500 years before the Messiah is going to come. So how does he know about the Messiah? Well, Hebrews 11 would already tell us about that. Genesis chapter 3, 15, the great promise that there would be one who would destroy the enemy. This is the Messiah. All through then the promises, whether it be, um, of course, Enoch, or how about the sacrifice by Abel, right? That's a picture of the ultimate sacrifice. So they know what sacrifices are. It's pointing to the Messiah. Abraham is given that great promise. It's the Messiah. Abraham saw Christ. Do you remember that? John 8, 56. Jesus spoke this. said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Somebody saw it by faith. He saw it there was a Messiah. He understood that. That's the basis of the promise. That's the sacrifice. And at the end, we see him really believing by being willing to what? To sacrifice his only son. Abraham saw my day. He rejoiced. 
Isaac knew that. Jacob knew that. Joseph knew that. Remember this whole blessing thing that they gave? And here it is now. Moses, he knows all about this. Remember the foundation that he was given before he went to live in the palace? That's why I say I think he had some time to learn this, to give a basis to get those Bible stories in. And who Christ is, the Messiah, I think he knows full well. He identifies with God's Messiah. That's far more valuable. So Christ is mentioned right here in Hebrews 11. Considering the reproach of Christ, living for Christ, living for the Messiah, quite a reproach it can be. Do you know what? He identifies with the Messiah. Because the Messiah is far more valuable than all the worldly treasures gathered together. Moses had those treasures, didn't he? Lived amongst it. Christ is far more valuable than any of those. That's incredible. You know what? I've got this underlined here and circled. To combat the temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, 1 John 2.16 is to see the infinite value of possessing Jesus Christ. That's how we beat temptation, folks. This little temptation here is for how long? A few seconds? A few minutes? Or the eternal reward is forever. It's Christ. You put Christ in place of that temptation, you go, there is no comparison. This is ridiculous. Boom goes your temptation. Just put Christ right there and you see the treasure that He is. It's infinite, folks. The infinite treasure. The treasure is Christ. He's everything. Everything else just fades away, doesn't it? Is that a blessing of eternal reward? He says, Considering the approach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for He was looking to the reward. I wonder how many times He had given in to temptation before. We don't know. Are we looking to the reward of heaven? Are we focused on what we can get out of this life at this moment, at this second? Moses chose to obey God by faith. His, and that sounds like, oh, he chose. You know, it's, it's all about our own choice and his own free will. No, we're saying because of what God has put in him already from even before he was even born, that he has this drive to obey God. And now it's time to show up, and he does. Faith was the only thing that enabled Moses to choose God. Faith is a gift. The heaven treasures over the treasures of Egypt. What does Egypt represent? The world. Look in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. 
1 John 2.15 Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away. And also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The city. Right? The country. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The ones before them. They go out to this place where God is leading them. They never really got it fulfilled. But yet they looked for something further on that was beyond this country that they were in. He believed God. He believed the promises of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now I want you to look at Hebrews 11.26. He considered the reproach of Christ. This, this whole decision, it's not blind faith. It's not some kind of leap of faith. You, you hear about that expression. No. See, the faith that we have is rational in the sense that there is to be understanding there. We just don't go out and blindly leap and say, oh, I don't be a Christian. I don't care what. I don't need to know anything. I just want to be a Christian. No. We are given evidence of what the Gospel is. And so... Moses considers the reproach of Christ. What's the idea with considering here? Well, he makes this after we've already seen that he has grown up. Acts 7.23 says he was about 40. Perhaps he lived in Pharaoh's court long enough to become absolutely nauseated with all the things that was going on. It really wasn't the answer to life. You know, I, I don't know. Did he see the superficiality here? Well, he considers. I, I think he sees something there that it's not quite right. Consider. That means a belief resting on external proof. Our faith rests upon proof. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There's evidence there, but we haven't seen it. The evidence here is in Scripture. It's what God has already told us. But we haven't experienced that part yet, but God says it's so. We have all the evidence we ever need. We have more than Moses ever had. We have not... uh, Revelation, like Moses had, and he saw the backside of God's glory, we have much more evidence than he ever had. We have the completing of the Old Testament, Christ's sacrifice as we look past it, and the New Testament that was written the first century, after Christ's death in the first century. But this time he considers, it means a careful judgment. He waited. Okay. Here I have in the balance. I have all this. Look where I live. Look at all the things that I have at my disposal here. I'm in the best position any human being could ever have in the history of mankind. Momentarily, that's pretty attractive. On the other side, 
You're going to have some difficulty here. Moses is going to have difficulty the next 40 years. And then another 40 years. But you know what? It's absolutely satisfying in the long haul. Moses chose to believe God's promise and to reject the world. Of course, we just read that in 1 John 2.15. The consequences out of this. The crisis that led Moses over the line to do what he does, to renounce Egypt and to choose ill treatment with God's people, not only from Egypt, but even God's people. He saw the Egyptian beating upon the Hebrew slave. And he considered everything that he had thought before. And he saw that beating. He says, that's of my people. He's beating him. I see this. I see it actually happens. It wasn't an impulsive Reaction. No, he had he considered these things. He thought about these things. And when this instant happened, he said, "That's it." You know, you, you finally get up to the the line and you say, "Okay, I'm going over. Now I'm doing it." So when the moment came, he acted decisively. Yes, he killed the Egyptian, and not we're not saying that that's what he should do. We know later he writes the law, and we're not to murder, right? They already knew that. That was already in man's law, but we know that God still uses that plan. And we, anyway, he's looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. See, faith banks everything on eternity. Everything is pointing to eternity. In light of eternity, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. We are getting near the end here. This is such a great story. So much to cover. So good, isn't it? I mean, this is God's rich word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this is Paul writing. Remember his sufferings? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what a Christian thinks. That's what we are to be thinking. There's another one that I like so well. 2 Corinthians 4.17 You've heard of these passages, haven't you? 2 Corinthians 4.17 What a glorious passage. For momentary light affliction... (coughs) For us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Yeah, we have light affliction here, but look at eternity. The weight of glory. We can't even understand what all that means. A momentary pleasure of sin or eternal pleasures. If we continue, and this is what a worldly person is, they continue in the momentary pleasures. They live from one momentary pleasure to another to another one. But they need to weigh it against the punishment in hell. Because if that's what they live, if that's their lifestyle, if that's their nature, then there is hell awaiting them. They need to consider that, don't they? 
or you have momentary affliction and you can say, yeah, this is nothing compared to what's going to be coming. Eternal glory in heaven. That's how we live it. Now we're on the last part, number three. Faith overcomes powerful opposition. Back to Hebrews as we close this out. This is where it all makes sense. Twenty-seven by faith. There's another by faith. He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through the dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. You know what? Definitely see miracles there. This is supernatural God. Is Moses doing any miracles? No. It's God that's doing this. Moses is an instrument. Oh, you know, he raises up a staff or something like that. But this is all God's power. He tells Moses, tell the people this. Stand back. Stand back. Don't do anything. And see the salvation of the Lord. Watch this. Check it out. No, no, no. Don't do anything. Just watch. Check this out. Stand back. See. Watch this. That's what that's what's going on. God reveals it to Moses. Moses is he's all he's doing is just being faithful. He's telling the people he's just believing God. That's all he is really doing. He's believing God. There's going to be eternal rewards out of this. This is all pointing to eternity. What he is doing is believing it. And he is obeying it, right? He's showing that he, he believes. Faith overcomes opposition. What happens is when you leave Egypt, and by the way, you might have a question about this, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and at first you might have a little problem with that because do you remember in Exodus 2, what happened? He, you run, you're running around in your mind on this, you go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Okay, he has faith and then he, he fears the wrath of the king and he runs away. How can, how can I get this figured out? What, what do I do with this? Well, there were two times that he left Egypt. Are we getting this? First time he fled out of fear. God said, okay, you've got a lot to learn. I'm gonna... He didn't tell him, but it was 40 years. He's 80 when he's going to lead the people out of Egypt. Are you getting this? It's the second departure. The exodus is whenever he leaves and he's not afraid of the king. Remember the parents? They weren't afraid of the king's edict. Moses has a lot to learn. But wouldn't we? He didn't fear the wrath of the king. So if you were wondering, but he fled and he was fearing... The second time at the Exodus, he courageously stood up to Pharaoh and led the two million out. The verb left there means to forsake. To forsake it. When Moses forsook Egypt, he didn't step into something that was seemingly better. What does he step into? He steps into a situation that it doesn't look like success. Matter of fact, this looks like failure. Because it's going to take God's power to do this thing. Pharaoh 
is going to be after him. He knows it. God's going to have to protect Moses and the people. He's going to have to lead two million people out into the desert. Think about it. You're leading all of St. Louis, St. Louis County and everything, out of there into the wilderness of Illinois. (laughs) And there's no water or food there. Think about that. Oh, it's better yet. Let's say they're they're going to Kansas. (laughs) It's going to take them there or out west or whatever. This is suicidal. It's one thing to go on your own, but two million people, you got to be kidding me. Listen, these people aren't trained. They're not an army. Egypt has the best, most powerful army in all of the world at that time. You're not prepared. God is. Defenseless, untrained slaves. He's going to take out there. And there, there comes this, the enemy with power. Our enemy is the prince of the power of darkness. Prince of the power of the air. He commands an army of evil spirits that are intent on destroying us. That's their plan. That's why the Christian life is often portrayed as warfare. Moses was in warfare. He left. He forsook. He didn't fear the wrath. Moses encountered the wrath of the king. Whenever you attempt to follow God's path that He has designed for you, people can get angry at you. That can be people that that are from your family. It can be your employer, fellow employees. It can be friends. It can be whoever. They don't like what you are now and what you stand for. Martin Luther fought off all sorts of anxiety at the place called the Diet of Worms as he appealed the Scripture to them. And he said, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. We have Reformation Day coming up. So I put in a little bit of Martin Luther. He stood, didn't he? Stood for, he had faith in the Scripture. He says, all I can do is believe this rather than your system. He went up against the world. Faith sees the unseen God, as 27, as seeing Him who is unseen. That's what we do. You know, by faith, we don't see things visibly. We don't see it come true. Maybe sometimes like we'd want. But faith is like a telescope. It brings a distant object into visible focus in the sense we know that what God is doing. Be anxious for nothing. Draw near to God in His Word and prayer. Right? Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7. Faith, trust in God's sacrifice. and He kept the Passover. Passover. The Passover lamb. The lamb is to be killed in each family. Lamb is to be killed. The blood is to be put over the door. And anyone that does that, they will not lose their firstborn. Anyone that doesn't have the blood over the door will lose their firstborn. Well, that means He tells it to all the Israelites. And they all do that. None of them lost their firstborn. The Egyptians didn't do that. They all lost their firstborn, including the Pharaoh. 
God provided the sacrifice, the Passover lamb. By faith, Moses, did, had it ever happened before? No, there's never been a Passover before. I'm going to pass over you. I'm not going to destroy your firstborn. Today, that celebration is still done, the Passover. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. The Passover in every element, every detail is pointing to Christ. Christ is our Passover, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5.7. He is our Lamb, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world, the ones who are His, live by faith. Just about every detail in that Passover. It's incredible. It points to the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus took the bread and the wine, instituted the Lord's Supper right there. He took at that Passover time. He is the Passover Lamb. He'll just, he will just, uh, demonstrate that the next day. But he points it with them, and he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Now we're not going to be doing that today, but we do it every week, almost always. Um, next week we'll. Uh, we'll do that. But the, it's a remembrance of His death, but it's remembrance of Christ in all things, the whole Gospel. You know what? It meant judgment though. Because if you look in 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. There the people are and they're looking. And there's the sea here. Here's the army. What chance do we have? The best trained army in the world and here we are, we've got the sea here, we've got the army here, we're done. God says, stand back and see the salvation. He waits until the moment they are right on them. They look, they look here, there's, not, there's no place to go. They're done. No. God waits at the very moment to deliver. Well, this is a picture of what He does. There is the cross which will deliver people from their sins. If people do not trust in that cross, like dealing with the lamb and its blood over the lintel, the post and such, there's judgment. There is deliverance. There is judgment. Here comes the army. They go through the dry land. The army's still coming. They're, wa- they're looking on one side. You remember the movies? On the other side, the water is stacked up higher than what they stand. They're looking way up there, both sides, and they're walking through. All two million of them. They just keep on ushering through. And here comes the army at perfect timing. Boom! Closes up. All the army is destroyed. That's God's power. Moses didn't do that. But he believed that God would deliver him. You think maybe he was thinking, hey God, you need to do something. You need to do something now, God. Right? I'm responsible for all these people. The way of deliverance. The blood of the Passover lamb was a type, of course, of the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, He died as a substitute for you and me. It was sufficient. But there are others who will not spend eternity with Christ. There are the armies that are against the church that don't have faith. And we see deliverance. We see judgment. Moses just obeyed God one step at a time. And so therefore he made the right choices. Sorry to go over time. I knew it would. I think it's one of the most tremendous stories in all the Bible. 
Moses relied on God. Can you imagine? What did he do? He just did what God said. Hit the rock, right? Water comes out. But he believed God. He says, okay. Just keep believing in the promise. Keep believing in the Word of God. We have all the evidence we need. There's no reason to doubt. Keep believing. Father in heaven, you are holy. Your word is holy. Thank you for this story, but it's more than a story. It is life, it's eternal life. It's the life of Christ. That's who we want to follow. We don't want to follow Egypt and all the things that Egypt offers. We want to follow Christ. Help us, Lord, where we are weak in our faith to keep trusting in You. For we know where that points. That's eternal. In Jesus' name, Amen. Your blessing is that the Word of God gives you all the promises. May you be blessed in all that you do and think today and every day. Amen. Amen.